0: what's going on everyone welcome to another episode of eastern current if you're watching here and maybe if you're listening it could be really loud i've got a new mic set up uh as most of y'all know if you know anything about technology my setup for my podcast is pretty minimal and kind of terrible um but this i've had a lot of y'all complain about the loud bumping noises from hitting the table because i use this condenser mic um because my my old switching board crashed on me and i kind of didn't want to spend the money so this is my new cheaper setup but hopefully, it's easier to listen to. Hopefully, you'll enjoy it. Um, and hopefully, this, the sound comes out well in this. Um, I've got Dan in the house tonight. Uh, it was a very busy week for me. I'm actually selling uh, a boat this week. I had a bunch of trips. And I just did not get around to recording a podcast early in the week. And Dan was nice enough to come on here. We were going to try to do it last night. And then that fell through. And so, we're doing it tonight. It's Friday night. I'm going to get this up online tonight as well. Um, I guess it's Friday the 15th. Um, but just just a quick reminder: if you haven't out checked out the Facebook group Eastern Current Fishing, go check that out. It's a great way to connect with other listeners. Um, please give us a ranking on iTunes, Spotify, any of the areas that you listen to the podcast on. That'd be awesome. Uh, if you watch on YouTube, subscribe to the channel. We just we we work really hard to bring out really um, solid information and trips and tricks and tactics and whatnot as far as inshore fishing goes from you know Virginia, Maryland, all the way down to the Florida Keys. Uh, and so we hope that you do enjoy it. Um, and we hope you learn something from it. We hope you catch more fish, but tonight me and Dan are going to, you know, our passion, uh, one of our passions is, um, is fly fishing one for, for redfish. Uh, but even more so than fly fishing, it's just the, the act of sight fishing for redfish and kind of, uh, you know, what that entails and the haunt of it all.
1: Yeah. I mean, really just being able to like hunt those fish like you said you're not you're not just fishing and sitting around waiting you're really getting back in the creek and stalking water, stalking hunting yeah. those fish trying not to spook them definitely, and then enticing them to eat a bait close enough to the boat where you can see what's happening
0: yeah yeah. sometimes too close for comfort yeah, uh, yeah sometimes
1: they get right underneath you and, <laughs> and they bolt pretty quick
0: yeah but we're going to share with y'all tonight kind of uh, what we've learned over our multiple years of, of targeting fish and shallow water and sight fishing and um kind of try to help y'all understand you know the differences kind of some of the nuances and some of the things that we had to learn the hard way so hopefully you all be able to you know to catch more fish and to, and to maybe even uh, if you haven't done any sight fishing kind of you know open your eyes up to what might be just a little bit shallower from where you've already been fishing so um, we're going to kind of go into it and uh, and hopefully y'all like it well we'll start out with this like in the winter time you know if the water is so clear and sight fishing is um, very very visual, more so than a lot of times. You can see fish from far away, but at the same time, it, you know fish can see you really well. So, um, let's kind of go through Dan, share with people, um, kind of your approach on fish like this time of year. If you see fish, they're in an area. You know they're in an area. Um, let's let's start with you are looking for fish.
1: The best way that I've discovered to find fish in the wintertime. First off, they're always schooled up in bigger schools. Yeah. They're not, you don't have, I mean, occasionally you find some singles in some smaller schools.
0: Safety in numbers, I guess. the no
1: Yeah. I, I don't know what it is about the cold water that makes fish school up. It's just kind of a general known thing that fish school up in the cool, cooler water. But I always get to the farthest point of the creek, as far back as I can get. And I um, usually just find fish at, the, you know, that farthest point on muddy bottoms. Yeah, um, yeah
0: deeper holes and deeper
1: holes muddy bottoms it seems like you know when I'm fishing the river I, I do tend to find smaller schools mm-hmm. um, up this way up north in this clear water they uh, they tend to be in much bigger schools yeah. which can make them much harder to find as well because it's kind of be in the bigger creeks and the bigger deeper holes yeah um, and you know if you push that whole school a lot of times they'll still bite but it does make them very spooky because you can just run right up on them you know, when you're coming in the creek, not expecting them to be in that main part of the creek, yeah. You're trying to work your way back, so uh, I guess just kind of go to the areas where you would generally find fish, and then work your way back slowly, and just be prepared. You know, to find that much bigger school. Don't be thinking that you're gonna find a fish here and a fish there. Just know that there's probably only one school of fish in there this time of year.
0: Yeah, it's funny. You know, a lot of the fish will hang out together: trout, black drum, redfish, mm-hmm. kind of all in the similar zones. And one thing that plays true from you know Virginia all the way down to Florida is when that water starts to cool off, fish want to put themselves in a place that they can survive a cold snap. I mean, they don't want to be... Way it's up way true. up in something shallow. They, they want to be near an area where they can get in deep water quickly Yes, um, in the winter. And so, the, you know, they'll transition. Yeah. The, the shallower the water, the quicker it's going to get cold, but also the quicker it's going to get warm. So they like those shallow water to deep water transition and, areas.
1: And the same thing with the muddy bottom, too. The muddy bottom really heats up a lot faster yeah. than, you know, just the sandy bottom do. For sure. Um, and I think that's part of the reason why, you know, here down in the river you'll find smaller schools of fish because... The water's not as quite as cold, so they don't have to school up in such big schools as they do up here, up yeah. north where it's all sand bottom.
0: Yeah. Um, I think what kind of where I want to take this podcast today is, you know, site through sight fishing, and especially in the winter, like fish can get pretty pressured. They can get smart. Um, so I think we're going to talk a lot about like tactics and approach, and then also, you know, why fly fishing is such a good, you know, way to target these fish when they're spooky, as well as we're going to go over. Um, on our patreon account at the end of this um if y'all are a patreon member you can slide over there me and dan are going to share with y'all some some kind of sneaky wintertime baits <laughs> that that work really well um, uh, again, some I stuff that y'all want to go secret he, he's, one dan's one guy guy got one guy, big secret I'm he to share. One, so if you haven't one. if you haven't subscribed to our patreon go over there uh we do extra content at the end of each episode we go over there and share a little bit of extra stuff and some juicier stuff uh, so you can definitely go over there and check that out but um, l- let's talk a little bit about like, all right, we found our fish because obviously we can't sit here and tell you you know where to go fish. That's the most important thing I think as a fisherman is, is finding these areas yourself. Um, and once you can network, sharing stuff with other people. But but fish you find yourself and target you know properly. Half, at, half of the
1: fun is finding the fish. Definitely, definitely. I, I mean that really is you know part of it is is the achievement of finding the fish. Uh, I forget who who said this, but I read it the other day it's not that the fish is what you're actually chasing. It's the elusive but attainable experience. Yeah. That you really, yeah, that's good. Really after.
0: Elusive, but attainable is very, two, two very good words that, yeah. that come into that. But, um, yeah, it's, it's, you know, that it's the same thing with hunting. It's like, you're kind of chasing that. What if like, all right, what if this yes. kind of pans out? Yeah. So it's pretty cool. Um, all right. So one of the most important things when sight fishing um, whether you're on a kayak, whether you're waiting, um, is knowing where the fish is, but also, you know, being aware of where you are in placement of your boat, of your kayak, of your paddleboard, if you're waiting. Um, you know, when these fish are schooled up, it's it's very easy to spook the school with a bad cast, especially as the, these fish get pressured. Um, and, and the happier you can keep the fish, the more fish you can catch and the more fish you can catch in the future. So, um, Dan, go over a little bit kind of how you like to position your, your kayak when you're fishing. Um, so, on a school of redfish.
1: Well, in the summertime, they're much more active. I don't actually typically kayak fish much in the wintertime. Yeah, yeah. Um, I just don't simply have the gear, and I'm not a huge wintertime fishing guy. Anyways, I'll go when you know when we we'll get the warm, unusually warm days yeah. here. But um, if it's nice, I'll go when it's 40 degrees or something outside. But for the most part, I don't. I don't wait, wait till it's, til it's a little warmer. Yeah, I don't yeah. like going when it's you know blowing 15 knots and 30 degrees outside. Yeah, no. but um. So, no, in the wintertime, what I usually like to do is, like I said, you know, you work your way back in the creek, just take your time so you don't spook that big school, so you don't blow them out first thing when you get in the creek. And when you find them, just set up, you know, you'll see the fish because the water's clear, and you just set up, you know, 15, 20 feet away, try not to spook them, be really, really quiet, no jumping around the boat, no making a lot of noises, cast over the school, don't cast directly into the school because they're really spooky this time of year, and they're really. Uh, what's the what's the, what, the
0: lethargic lethargic, lethargic yeah, yeah they're
1: really lethargic so you got to fish really slow this time of year um uh, you can use a base that you typically use in the summer except for topwater they're not gonna hit topwater very well if at all this time of year I know I got on some really good fish last weekend and we threw topwater just for fun because there were so many fish and they just ran from it yeah they didn't, yeah, they didn't, they didn't even mess with it yeah so. You know, clear water you're going to use your brighter color natural color baits dark water you want to use your darker color baits the difference is is that you can use the same baits but you have to fish really really slow yeah um, scented baits help a lot this time
0: of year yeah scent definitely yeah. helps
1: um, as far as fly fishing goes you're going to do the same thing but with your fly on yeah um,
0: I think one thing that's so important uh, and, and one every year I tell myself I'm going to get a power pole for my skiff but it doesn't <laughs> have to be a power pole but this time of year being able to to stake yourself out away from the school, um, and, and a lot of times these these schools of redfish, and, and this is in the summer or the winter, when they're in a zone, they kind of want to just work back and forth in that zone. Now it's very tempting to chase the fish to one side, then to the other side, then to one side, then the other side, but you're doing nothing but pressuring those fish and making it harder for, to, for yourself and other people to catch them in the uh, in the future. That's,
1: that's exactly right. I mean, the fish that we got on this past weekend we would stake out and catch a few and then you know it kind of bumped the school down the creek a little bit but we just stayed knowing that they would come back and then they came right back and catch a few more and we just did that over and over and over we probably caught 15 plus fish yeah one school yeah it's probably not great to sit there and hammer a school like that right but we didn't have a whole lot of time to fish and the fish were there you can also you know kind of corner the fish this time of year where they can't really get past you out of the creek but they can't go much further back in Creek. yeah and that's a lot of fun too you know it's just like kind of fishing in a barrel yeah
0: it, it can, definitely can be um i like to kind of try to set up on an edge where they don't really know i'm there like the only time that they get bumped or interacted with is when i hook a fish and it freaks out for a second um or when somebody hooks a fish and, and it freaks out for a second letting those fish kind of interact in that space that they like the more time you spend in a zone in an area this time of year, you'll you'll learn the habits of the fish. Where they like to go up when it's warm. Where they like to sit when it's cold. Where they what they do when it's pressured, uh, or when they feel pressured. You know, sitting deep and, and and kind of looking like that dark color. When they're real happy this time of year, they'll sit mid water column. Sometimes float up on the surface on a warm day, and they'll be glowing and they're I, fun I remember to catch. That
1: one time we went camping in the winter, and I put you in that mud flat way back there in the in the, <laughs> in the marsh. It was so sick. It was super shallow, and there's kind of Deep mud hole, and there's these like four or five fishes floating really high and happy. That was fun. And Jug dropped the gurgler in there, and the fishes kind of just sipped it right off the top. That was, that was like, fun. That was that was, so that was like eight or nine years ago. That was a long, that a long time ago. I'll never forget that. That was so great. That, that, was,
0: was, the last sweet. that was super cool. Um, but like, like Dan was saying, you know, casting over the school and working a bait back through the school uh, is pretty. Pretty is a pretty good way to target them. Also, you know, if they're they're moving down a creek, leading the fish a long ways and letting, I kind of, you know, let's say the fish are, I'm up on a shoreline and these fish are moving up and down through the, the creek. It's real tempting to just drop it in there on top of them. But if I lead them a little bit and let those fish, the first couple of fish swim across that bait and then start working that bait, uh, in the middle of the school, where the fish in there are, are much more comfortable than the fish on the outside of the school, you'll usually get picked up immediately. And when I'm saying work the bait, you're not, you know, hopping it and reeling it. In. I'm just kind of sitting there shaking it on the school.
1: Yeah. And a lot of times you can, you know, if you're fishing a shrimp imita- imitation bait, you can just drag it on the bottom and yeah. pick it up. A lot of times oh, yeah. you don't need to twitch or jerk it or anything. You know, just work, just would just kind of dead stick it right through the middle of that school and then just swim in there and pick it up. It's a really soft bite this time here. Yeah. It's not, you're not going to hit it and take off with you or just kind of feel the thumb feel a little bit of pressure and you set into them and you can really tell this time of year I mean, the fish don't even fight near as hard as they yeah. do in the summertime
0: yeah you'll, you'll get a, a little drag pull and then and, uh, back to the boat yeah. they, they will get pretty fired up you know you get a couple warm days this time of year i think spring's here and they'll mm-hmm. start to get pretty fired up but um you know it, it it typically it's it's a safe time of year to catch fish They they don't burn too much energy getting to the boat the water's cool uh, you know, a lot of oxygen, so it's it's a, it's a good time of year to to you know if you need to pull a fish out of the water and get a picture and whatnot, let them go. <laughs> what's your
1: what's your favorite fly pattern for the summer, dude?
0: Man, I don't get super crazy on my fly patterns um,
1: at all. That's that's a pretty good shrimp looking pattern hanging around the side, right here. Dude, the, the tan one too. This one, yep.
0: Um, I, I've got a I've got a video on YouTube. Um, this is pretty similar. This is actually tied out of my golden retriever's tail here, but um, I call this the golden deceiver. But um, I use a little craft fur or EP fiber um, up around the head, and then I'll just use some craft fur uh, as a tail usually. And, and just keep it pretty simple. A lot of times I'll put a weed guard in, just but, but just a little simple. I'd probably fish that a little bit shorter. This is, if you're listening, about a, a white and tan. It's about five inches long, but really sparsely dressed. It's pretty thin, small little bait. But in the winter i might shorten it up to you know two and a half three inches um and it just looks like a lot, of, of, like we had a lot yes, of short yeah,
1: bites yeah just throwing soft plastics you know they uh they would just grab the back of the bait and kind of pull it halfway down the hook some of them were smaller fish but even some of the bigger fish were doing it yeah so just not you know not feeding real aggressive
0: yeah it's uh it, you know it can be uh, you can deal with a lot of that especially with the trout too like you'll sit in an area and and see a bunch of fish and get some small little bites and Mm -hmm. a lot of non-bites, a lot of uh, fishing areas and and not getting the fish to bite. The redfish will usually always, you know, play along, but if they get heavily pressured this time of year, I've watched large schools of fish get heavily pressured and you throw a bait in there and they won't pick it up.
1: Oh, yeah. Yeah. I mean, another thing too is, you know, when you get on those fish, especially if you're working a creek and fly fishing, don't let your shadow hit them. Yeah. If your shadow hits them, you're gonna blow them out. Yeah, that's, that's gonna be it. They're gonna. Th- I don't know if they correlate the shadow with an osprey or or what, but they do not like like it when sh- random shadows hit them. Yeah.
0: Another thing that I'm just kind of rolling through under this podcast is a little less organized, um, but just rolling through what's popping in my head. Um, a big thing that I share with a lot of clients that that uh, I think is a is a huge factor, especially this time of year when fish get spooky. Is you know if your boat rocks at all and sends a little wake out, it'll spook fish. Um, fly fishing as well as just normal casting but a lot of times fly fishing when you're casting your feet are kind of spread out and you don't even realize it but you're rocking back and forth a little bit rocking the boat Uh, i always tell people when we're on a school of fish and we're fishing i want them to stand with their feet as close together as they possibly can you know that's you're kind of dialing your center of gravity into one place and you can't rock the boat as much i mean you can still rock it but you're gonna fall over. It's gonna make you stay more still if you've got your feet side by side. If you watch a lot of you know fly fishing videos and whatnot, when they're in shallow water targeting redfish and snook and bonefish and whatnot, you'll see these guys with their feet literally you know touching on the on the casting that's a, that's platform. It's a, a
1: great point.
0: Yeah, it, it keeps you from rocking the boat. I know you've even seen it you know with a kayak, like yeah. getting up even in the summer, really shallow, just a little subtle uh, belly, change of
1: belly crawlers are. It's so spooky. If they're they're belly crawling, I mean, super shallow with half their body out of the water. I mean, if you you land a bait too close to them, they're gone.
0: Yeah. Um, Another big thing this time of year in that clear water is trolling motor. If you are on a school and you're chasing them back and forth on a trolling motor, they learn what a trolling motor is and what the sound of it is so quickly. So really, I mean, I couldn't stress to you... more you know people think these fish come and stay in a creek or a pocket for a week or two they'd stay much longer if people fish them properly um, without chasing them around they'd, they'd really stick around and be happier fish but um, i'm running when i'm on fish or, or could be on fish quickly or, or nearby uh, I really don't run my trolling motor over two and a half or three, even in deep water. Um, and, and a big, big, big thing about running a trolling motor on fish, especially schools of fish, is even when you see those fish, don't change the speed of your trolling motor and don't cut the, cut it off. Like when I'm don't about spot, to cast, don't spot lock it. Don't spot lock it. Oh yeah, but even just the subtle. Um, cutting it off, you might be running at two and cut it off, and just that change of noise and vibration will spook the fish. I've watched it happen so many times. And I mean, it's even wild. even running off of one, um, you know, you talk to these old timers up in the Pamlico that used to fish the big bull reds up there, uh, and they said they used to fish them on the motor, like they'd idle up to the Menhaden balls and just leave it running and so it running and and, and throw the popping corks in there and catch them that way. They weren't running trolling motors, um you know, a lot of those guys still don't run trolling motors and they'll just idle up to them like that. But, um, keeping that, that you got to think if a troll motor comes in from a long distance away, it just gradually, yeah, You're just gonna gradually build up that noise. But if it yeah.
1: changes as many it gets there, then they notice. exactly. It Even from one and a half to two, it can yeah. spook them.
0: Yeah. So yeah. Uh, another thing is be cautious of, you know, if I'm trolling motoring and I'm in shallow water for redfish is I have my motor trimmed up to the, where the bottom of my boat is. So my skeg's not going to hit an oyster and spook the fish. Kind of really being cautious of, of what where your boat can draft in what your boat can draft in um, and, and really focusing on, on trying to keep that boat, you know, away and quiet, yep. not spooking those fish.
1: And it's nice too this time of year with the water being so clear. You don't necessarily have to fish at dead low tide to find right. a school of fish because you can still see those fish, you know, even if... Yeah, you're halfway down towards the low tide. Yeah, and, definitely. You know, you definitely still find, you know, when you have a lot of fish like that, they're still definitely seeable from a distance, even when the water's a little bit higher. 100%. And, you know, this past weekend, we caught, uh, we caught a few fish on fly till I, uh, till I broke my buddy's fly rod. <laughs> and, uh, and, uh You know we were not in a technical bowling skiff by any means. It's just got a skiff with a trolling motor. So don't think that if you're if you if you're watching this podcast or you're you're listening in, don't think that just because you don't have you know a maverick, you know, or a Hells Bay or a high end skiff, or even you know a low end skiff, like a guino that you can't go do this and catch these fish on fire. Because if you've got a bay boat or a kayak or canoe or whatever it is, you know a lot of times this time of year you can still find those fish in deep enough creeks to go have a
0: yeah better. definitely and you got that visibility that you really need when that water clears up yeah, that you yeah. can see them in deeper water um, yeah that that's a big I mean those tools any tool you can have in your pocket is going to help you so a skiff I consider a tool to get done what, what I like to get done in, in the fishing it's definitely in a day easier of fishing
1: with the, with the bowling skiff. yeah like, it is easier it's but it, easier it doesn't it's not it's, required, this it's not required right? definitely right. In the summertime it makes it a bit harder because you can't see the fish, so you're just going to be doing a lot of line casting, especially with a fly rod to try to find fish in the summertime, right? Without pulling skiff and being able to fish that at a super low tide and you can't see the fish pushing, yeah. So this time of year, you definitely don't, don't
0: need it. And I can't stress to y'all enough, um, you know, it, it, when you first find a school and you're all fired up on it, catch a bunch of fish, you know, go out there and catch a bunch of fish, but you know, if you know that the school's there. Mm-hmm. Don't come back day after day and catch 20 fish out of it because it, it's going to put pressure on those fish. They'll leave. They'll get really hard to catch. Um, just, you know, be okay with coming in, catching one or two fish, two or three fish, and leaving and get to try to find another school.
1: Yeah, I think two or three fish is a good number because, I mean, I, I have done that, you know, early in our amateur days when we found a nice big school of wintertime fish. We would go in there and we'd hammer them, you know, catch 10, 10 or 12 fish out of it. and You do that twice. They're, they're,
0: they're gone. Yeah, they freak out, man. I mean, so and if they don't, they're just getting more and more pressured and, and smarter and smarter. So, yeah, I think it's becoming a good steward of the resource is really what it boils down to. Yeah, for sure. So, um, I'm trying to think of what else we can talk about. As, as far as fly fishing goes, um, you know, this time of year is a good time of year because you can really see the fish well. Um, and you can also see your fly well. And I think that's such a relevant um not relevant, but that's such an important part of fly fishing is is when you make that cast, any type of sight fishing, you make a cast to the fish, you want to be watching your lure. You want I, to I'm not looking fishing. at the fish. I, I'm, I'm looking at the fish through my peripherals and focused on my lure. And so I know where that fish is. I know exactly when to move that lure. As soon as you look away from your lure, which is the harder thing to see, you have completely lost you know reference of where it is according to the fish. The fish is going to be much easier to pick up. Out of you know the corner of your eye, the lure you need to focus on. That that's kind of what I always tell people, especially when you bomb a lure into you know under the, the edge of a school of redfish, um, you can strip it right through. But if you kind of sit there and watch that bait, watch that fly, and kind of work it to a certain fish, it's a lot more fun, a lot more challenging.
1: And it's definitely easier to catch them on fire this time of year. Of course, the water being clearer, like we've been saying, because you can watch that fish eat. Your fly. Yeah. You know when you're when you're fishing with spinner rod, you know, and fishing hard bait or soft plastic, you, you get your line pretty tight, especially when you're fishing with braid, and you can feel that bite. On fly rod with your floating you know, with your floating fly line, it's not quite as easy, especially if you, have, if you have any wind at all. Right. Versus if you can watch that fish eat your fly and then strip set into him, it's so much easier to hook up with a fly rod this time. For sure,
0: it definitely is. It's also easy to strip it away from his face because <laughs> it's so visual to So you get visual. All nervous
1: and comes in there to eat it and yeah. just pull it out of his mouth.
0: So tell me about this dan what what would you say your preferred setup is this time of year as far as a spinning rod Um, as far as real size rod size braid leader what do you like to fish
1: i've been fishing a 2500 and a medium light which is a lot of fun this time of year because fish don't fight super hard but anywhere from that plus you know if you get on a nice school of trout and you're not you know, you're not ever gunned for a nice school of trout, right? you still kind of got a trout rod in your hand, but also, you know, just a 3,000 size reel with a medium
0: rod. Okay, What um, what's uh, what reel have you been running lately?
1: I like the uh, NASCI by Shimano, yeah, that's a really really affordable reel, it's really nice. It, it kind of like took place at the Stradic. I think that they a couple of years ago it seemed like because the NSAI has not been out for that long, NASCI, I think I'm pronouncing it right, has not been out for a very long time what
0: i know i've been calling that nasi not that i ever heard anybody say that but
1: that's kind of what i've been calling it. but i did not want to say that on podcast (laughs) so the shimano nasi that's what i've been that's what i've been using the past couple years um just because it's right at a 100 bucks yeah i don't i don't like buying really cheap reels i don't like buying super expensive reels A 100 bucks is not too hard to part with yeah it's not you know you can get a really nice reel for that price and um Skybreak great drag you know it's super smooth I don't notice that much of a difference between it and some of the more top end reels like $250 reels yeah. you know I've got um, I think I've got three, two or three seasons on my uh, Nassies now my, my Nassies
0: if we're saying that wrong we're sorry <laughs> and
1: um, they've I don't know if I had to guess I don't know maybe 5,000 casts no probably more than that 10,000 casts a reel maybe yeah, they're not a lot and I've caught a lot of fish on both of them and they've just now got it so where even with the handle tightened down, down on both sides I've got a little bit of back play going on gotcha um so and the drags definitely kind of worn out definitely need to drag washers need which I have not replaced but, yeah, but you I mean, feel like it's held out pretty well yeah I mean for a for hundred dollar reel yeah for a hundred dollar reel they're incredible how long did you say you've had it? probably two or three seasons now wow. and I okay. fish you know a lot probably yeah Every weekend, multiple times, sometimes multiple times a week. Yeah, um, not quite as much as you do, of course, but for you know, just do recreational angler. They're they're more than.
0: Heck enough. yeah, you know it's fine. It, it's kind of finding what you like and like. Some people don't care about the reel as much. They'd yeah. rather have a, a lighter, softer rod. Some people don't care about the rod as much. Um, you know, I I have nice gear, but I've never been one that's like you know got got the super fancy rods and reels as far as my spin gear goes. Um, I've I, been middle of the line yeah middle of the line is kind of where it's at and, and for me it's more about the rod I really like a rod set up uh, that I can feel the bite well with now how important do you feel like your braid size is and your braid choice when when it comes to redfish in the water
1: I feel like recently I've discovered that I fish a little bit heavier braid than most guys do uh, I've been fishing with a couple uh, guys I haven't fished with much recently and they're fishing you know 12 to 15-pound braid, 15 feet on the heavier side. I've always fished 20-pound braid on yeah. all my inshore stuff, um, even my medium-white trout rods, just because I'm fishing around so many, you know, so much structure around yeah, here. Yeah, definitely. Uh, you know, we're not fishing in Florida where the only structure is mangroves, you know. Um, and if you mess up fishing flats, you know, we've got oyster bars, and then you just have the marsh grass in general that the fish like to get wrapped up in, and then you're fishing around docks and jetty, and, you know, there's yeah. so, much, so much stuff for... Cut you really rod. need like ten or fifteen rods. Set up <laughs>
0: um, do you feel like throwing that twenty pound braid? Does it? Do you feel like it hurts you on your casting distance at all? No,
1: I feel like having the right rod levels that out. Yeah, um, I definitely cast more than most of the guys. I definitely cast further than most of the guys that I fish with. Yeah, it's um, it's so
0: much timing and momentum. Um, I will say personally, I can with lighter braid. I can cast it a little bit further. It feels like I can cast. I can cast it the same distance maybe but with less effort yeah you know what i'm saying i'm putting a lot into my rods with 20 pounds on it to get to get it out there but
1: i've just been fishing for 20 pounds for so long you got it dialed yeah i just don't know what it would be like to fish much anything lighter yeah for sure you know I, i don't use a rod under seven foot or I'll just 7-foot or 7-2. 7-2 two. Two is a sweet little yeah, length. Yeah, I just ordered two new lamby glass rods. Nice, okay. 7 twos. So what, I which rods?
0: Like, the salt? Yeah. The black salts?
1: No, not the black salt. Just the black. Okay, and, sweet. So just the, you know, and again, that's a, just kind of a really good middle of the line right at all. You know, a black salt is 207 bucks. Yeah. You know, and the black is, comes in right, I think, credit like 130. Okay. Yeah. Um, you know, so for... for What'd you get,
0: 7-2 medium lights? Yeah.
1: Nice. Uh, no, just the mediums. Mediums, so gotcha. I've got medium lights already, so I needed something that was just a little bit heavier for throwing top water in the summertime.
0: Gotcha, gotcha.
1: So that's why I got those. Those are for uh, those are coming for the summer. Nice, heck yeah. But um, yeah, I mean, you know, just having medium light rods, medium rods, and then maybe some you know medium heavy live bait rods if you do any live bait fishing yeah. is kind of, you know, kind of what I fish with and really just kind of run 20 pound on everything. I think I might step down to um, probably 15 though.
0: Yeah, on so, some of your lighter stuff.
1: Yeah, I said that you know, but I don't think your braid size matters a whole lot except for your casting distance. I think, of course, your fluorocarbon leader makes a big difference. Yeah, and Fluorocarbon this time of year is ideal. Even fly fishing this time of year, you know, if you can buy the pre-tapered leaders, it's still a good idea to tie like a little like three foot section of fluorocarbon. On
0: yeah, the getting that extra length, you know, the fly lines oftentimes oftentimes gonna spook fish if it comes over top of them, lands over top of them. But in the winter time, when the water's super clear, it's it's even more so. Um, especially
1: the fluorocarbon because it just disappears
0: yeah it disappears for sure Um, I really like to this time of year if I can get away with it fish 15 pound fluorocarbon leader Um, the top shot it was very top shot has been a you know a serious crowd pleaser for me lately I've really liked the durability of it it's a small spool uh, it's a little less expensive but that's uh, kind of a red package. And they've got an intercoastal angler uh, on their on their leader aisle. But that has been – I've been through a lot of different types of leaders. I've really been trying to find what I like. I've
1: always stuck with, like, the Seaguar.
0: Yeah, the seagar's yeah. awesome. The Azuri Top Shot's great. And there's uh, another little hack if you're trying to save money too is you can buy fluorocarbon mainline for way cheaper. So I can get a spool of, like, Seaguar mainline that you put on, like, a – you know, a, a, in freshwater a spinning reel or a baitcaster reel – and I can get a whole spool of that. That would that would spool an entire reel for like twelve bucks.
1: Do you do you like the mainline? Is do you find it's a different between the lead, actual the real leader material, and just 4-carbon mainline?
0: Man, I think it's it, it's pretty solid. It really is. Um, the Seaguar stuff that I've used is pretty pretty legit. Um, you know, th- there is a slight different in the a slight difference in like you know the suppleness of that leader, uh-huh. um, but the the invisibility if you will of it is uh, I swear the same and you can you can go down on the size a little bit if you need to but as far as you know when I'm trout fishing in the fall with clients and I'm not hunting for a big fish I'm just out there trying to catch a bunch of trout it's a great leader you know I'm cutting it I'm going through in two days I probably go through you know who knows probably 15 feet mm-hmm. of leader just about being you know, off of cutting stuff off cutting wind nuts out i so that adds up a lot for you it yeah adds it adds up maybe not 15 feet maybe I bet I go through 6 to 8 feet every 2 days of leader um, and so finding something that's a little bit cheaper that still works well is important for me and I it's not I don't, I'm don't. i not losing fish because of it but I don't think I'm
1: I never forget I was fishing with a guy when I was younger when I first got into inshore fishing and uh, he had so many rods and I was like you know I was just curious why, why do you need so many rods so I asked him He's like, well, one, because you can have all these different baits rigged up, and two, and I'm like, well, why not just change baits? And he's like, well, fluorocarbon's expensive. <laughs> that's and, awesome. Uh, and uh, I was always trying to figure out how the math worked out of having so many rods <laughs> versus the cost of fluorocarbon. Huh? That's
0: pretty funny. <laughs> fluorocarbon's expensive. The rods are cheap. You know yeah, the brand new rods that's, are super that's, cheap. And, uh, never made um, sense to me, but I
1: thought I thought it was really funny.
0: That is funny. That is funny. Um, Well that's kind of We're running a little bit Shorter podcast tonight Just because of Dan's time And my time We are going to slide over onto Patreon uh, And talk about a few Of our favorite flies And our favorite baits For fishing in the winter time And there's some stuff on there That I guarantee You haven't fished uh, In the winter That really Really opens up You know A whole new Opportunity on these fish When they get real spooky So And I've got
1: two big bombs I'm going to drop On Patreon
0: Dan's going to drop Two big bombs So guys Thanks for uh, Thanks for checking out This podcast uh, if you haven't checked it out before, you know, subscribe to us on YouTube. Subs- uh, subscribe on any of the podcast platforms, and we hope to hear y'all. Not hear y'all. Y'all gonna be hearing us. We hope to see y'all on the next one later.